Yes, here we are. Got a couple of people joining us right now. We got uh, Leslie Lynch Wilson saying hello already. Mm -hmm. And getting some heckles from people uh, that are friends of our <laughs> friends of mine saying, finally, um, <laughs> settle down, settle down, guys. It's yeah. going to be okay. Uh, there we go. We got folks dialing from Northern Michigan. And let's see. You guys know the rules, by the way, as you're coming in, make sure you tell us uh, who you are and where you're from. We've had folks today from all over the country. Uh, last couple of days, we've had folks from Washington. We've had folks from, oh, of course, Michigan, but we've had folks in Kansas and South Carolina, Little Rock's checking in right now. All right, we're starting to get more and more people in here. Okay, good. I'm just trying to get my screen back here. All right. Flipping through all the slides, looking good. Yeah, just want to make sure they all show up. The one yep. thing I, one thing that isn't showing up is my uh, slide advancer. Let me see here. Okay. All right. All right. Now it wasn't working before. Now it's work. Can you see me? No. I can. I can. Well, I can't see you. I can see your slide. I, your name just pops up. Oh. Hmm. We got Oklahoma showing up. South Dakota showing up. We got all kinds of folks coming in the room now. All right. Good. All right. Well, we can, we can see we can see your presentation and let's just roll with that for right now. And then, okay. uh, you know, when, when we get to a point of discussion, then we'll kind of go from there. So okay. I've got pictures of myself here anyway. So <laughs> that'll, <laughs> perfect. That'll help. All right. Uh, so for those of you, uh, this is it. This is the, the next to last session. We've got uh, the downtown happy hour coming up, the final wrap up after this. Uh, but I'm thrilled to have my friend Dorian Moore joining us right now. Dorian is Vice President at Archive Design Studio based in Detroit and Toronto. And uh, Dorian is adding some um, international flair for us. Uh, he is, uh, you're, from, you're broadcasting in Windsor today, right? Yeah, yes, I am. Windsor, as we affectionately refer to it in Michigan as South Detroit. Um, yes. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, Windsor, Ontario uh, represented as well. So now we are officially international. I know we've had some folks in from uh, uh, Toronto over the last couple of days that have been checking in as well. Um, but uh, just want to introduce um, uh, Dorian and uh, his topic today is a really important one. You know, one of the things that we heard a lot last year was uh, needing to address more topics that have to do with diversity and inclusion. And a few weeks ago, I saw a post that uh, Dorian had actually done on LinkedIn, and, and we've had a good fortune of working together on a couple of projects, and uh, he and, and uh, uh, his uh, business partner, Mark uh, Nikita, who we know real well uh, and uh, think the world of. Uh, but Dorian's been working on a project with Capital Impact Partners on how to grow uh, more um, minority developers in those communities. And when I saw this, I thought this would be a perfect topic for us to talk about uh, here in the three-day vendor. And Dorian was gracious enough to, uh, to spare some time to come talk about it today. So with that, Dorian, I'll let you uh, 
I'll turn it over and have you kind of more formally introduce yourself, but I appreciate making the time, buddy. No problem. Thanks a lot, Joe. Um, as Joe mentioned, I'm Dorian Moore. I'm, I'm an architect and uh, urbanist. And uh, as I go through my presentation, I'll give you uh, just a brief overview of who I am and what my background is. And then we'll talk about uh, the, the capital impact program in general and the, the idea of growing minority developers and how to do that more specifically uh, through sort of three key principles that I think need to be used uh, in order to grow more uh, minority developers. And, and it really comes down to the title of this session. I, I created a more condensed um, title than the, the first one Joe and I came up with, but it's the idea of uncovering assets in your own communities uh, as a way, it's really as a way to empowerment and, and diversifying the, the development community. So that's, that's what I'm gonna talk about. And um, <clears throat> hopefully we can have a discussion afterwards. And I'll, first I'll give you a little bit of information about myself and also you know, why I think this is an important topic. Um, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, I'm an architect and urbanist or urban designer. Uh, uh, I have three business partners. One is an architect and two who are uh, retail entrepreneurs. Uh, we run a, a diverse practice that um, it is focused on the revitalization of urban areas, whether they're downtowns, neighborhoods, uh, or, or districts. That's what, that's what we concentrate on. Our, our firm name is Archive DS. Uh, which stands for Archive Design Studio. And you know, again, our passion and commitment to cities, I think is un unparalleled among, amongst our peers. And, and hopefully you can start to see, uh, you know, based on some of the things we talk about today, <clears throat> what I mean by that. The, um, uh, the slide here just gives you sort of my uh, background, and, and emphasis regarding, uh, you know, practically being an architect, but really trying to be someone who is in the business of promoting cities and doing that at multiple levels. You know, one of the most specific levels that I, I try to do that at is by being involved in both uh, cultural organizations and uh, at the city government level in uh, planning, planning organizations or planning boards in, in my local uh, district or uh, municipality actually. And I think, it, I think it's important because a lot of architects and, and what I'm presenting today is going to be from the viewpoint of an architect and, and what an architect can bring to the table to help foster more minority developers. And one of the reasons why you know, I, I believe that you know, we're qualified to do that, and most specifically me and, and my firm is that we not only do architecture and, and urban design, we also 
have done development ourselves. We've initiated projects and gone through the follow through and implementation of projects from blank dirt sites uh, through full construction uh, as, as integral members of the development team and as uh, ownership level developers. We also, um, as I mentioned, are retail entrepreneurs. And so we have experience in uh, creating retail venues. Um, we're owners in a series of stores called Pure Detroit, which focus on uh, promoting items created by uh, people from Detroit and also items that are meant to promote Detroit uh, as, an, as an entity. And, and I believe you know, a lot of people realize that Detroit is turning the corner as far as its image internationally, nationally and internationally. Uh, and we, you know, we feel that we've, we've been in the game a while and uh, we find that the brand of Detroit is something that is being celebrated now. Another aspect of you know, what we try to do is, is what we call global urban study. And it's, it's the travel to and study of cities worldwide, understanding best practices, meeting with developers and architects and uh, civil engineers and political leaders uh, from different cities around the globe uh, in order to understand what's happening sort of outside of our own area. It's one of the key things that, you know, that I think is important, whether you're an architect, developer, city leader, is really understanding what's going on outside of your own area and then how it might apply to some of the things that you wanna do back home. Uh, our, the, the efforts of our firm has been noted uh, in a number of uh, trade magazines from the standpoint of urban planning and development and revitalization. And so, you know, we really have a commitment towards what we're, we're espousing. And again, it's, it's the idea of um, coming at things with a diverse perspective, being able to uh, understand things and, and look at them, not just from the standpoint of an architect who of course wants things to be beautiful, but also looking at it from the standpoint of the developer who wants things to of course come in uh, at a specific cost uh, and in, in a specific timeline, but also looking at things from the standpoint of, of entrepreneurs and what does it take to sort of create the urban environments that we're looking for on an incremental basis. And so we're, I'm really gonna be talking about small, small scale development. Uh, this is just a, a list, you know, as I mentioned, global urban study, and that's the study of the architecture, the urbanism and the, the policies behind development. This is just a list of some of the cities that we've been to worldwide, uh, you know, just understanding the uh, urban development patterns that exist and, and bringing those things back with us to our local jurisdictions to, uh, to create and foster change. So Dorian, we can only see your title slide right now. I'll pick up where I left off. 
Um, but I will also go through these slides. And my, my main point, and hopefully you can now see the images. Yes. <laughs> um, but my main point was that uh, we try to bring a unique perspective to the development process. And we think that's important, or at least I believe it's important in, in my role as an advisor and a mentor to uh, people or, or young minority developers. And uh, as part of that commitment, uh, we, um, we really emphasized, I think where I left, out the, left off was this idea of global urban study and really bringing, bringing what we've learned back home. And, and so giving you that background on me, what I'd like to, to do right now is sort of set the framework for uh, what I'm gonna talk about with just with a couple of facts and then we'll roll into the, the program itself. And it, it's just understanding that when you look at the particip participation of uh, minorities and uh, African-Americans specifically in the development profession, uh, you can see that the amount is very, very small. And there are many reasons for that. And, and I don't think they're reasons that we really need to dwell on. I think what I, what I like to focus on is what are the things that we're gonna be able to do to change that? Uh, and just a couple of other facts about the percentage of minorities involved in, in development and where they, where they are in relationship to the, the corporate hier hierarchy in real estate investment in general. So that's at a sort of at a national level. Then I'd like to sort of bring it home to Detroit. And I think one thing that I didn't mention uh, off the top is that uh, I am a Detroiter, was born and raised in, in Detroit, our practices in Detroit. Uh, and, and so I think the fact that this development program is centered around uh, two cities, Washington, DC and Detroit, I think is important. Uh, Detroit, of course, is well known as uh, a, a good place for minority business persons. Uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, these last two slides are two facts that I think really jumped out at me once I, I got involved in, in the capital impact program. And one of the things that the, the program does is each year it selects a small group of, through application process, a small group of minority developers to uh, get into a workshop and training program. Now, the, these are not seasoned developers. These are uh, usually people in their late 20s, early 30s, some maybe in their 40s, but they're just starting out. They have to have some degree of development experience working for a developer or a community development organization. Uh, they make it into the program, which consists of a series of workshops and um, panel discussions 
and classes that help to uh, in, engage the minority community and sort of give them the, the framework for becoming a successful developer. And so some of the things that we do and, and where I become most involved is at, is at the pre-development process, meaning the, the very beginning. <clears throat> this chart shows uh, a portion of the detailed process that's used in project development. Um, you can see the, the different phases uh, on the left of this chart, you know, starting with the research phase, um, site securing, site assessment, developing your plan, understanding zoning and, and codes that affect the plan, and then creating your, prelim your preliminary uh, financial plan. And so that we, we break this down into these parts and there's, we have a series of panel discussions with uh, different seasoned professionals coming in and, and discussing each of these topic areas. And of course, where I uh, come in the most is in the, the first uh, three or four, or really the first five phases, uh, which is how do you select a site? Number one, how do you determine, and this is something I'll talk about in just a minute, how do you determine what's a good site for development? And then uh, how do you go about securing that site, getting control of it? And then understanding all the issues that may come up that one needs to address during the process. So it's, it's really a, 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 an introductory primer on just understanding all the things that a developer needs to have sort of floating around in their head as this complex process starts. And the reason why they have um, architects, designers, engineers, uh, other developers, people from the city on these, on these diverse panel discussions is so that the developer can understand that he or she is the sort of leader of a team, right? And I know we, we typically talk about the, the owner or, or the client and consultant relationship, but really the developer is the, the leader of a complex team of design professionals, legal professionals, and financial professionals. And that's one of the things that this program emphasizes. So we talk about the structure of the pre-development process. And then we talk about the timeline. Uh, we, we take the developers through a complex set of uh, milestones that they need to hit in each of the phases and give them a sense of the typical timeline that these different phases take. Uh, and, and it's really about getting them an overall understanding of the entire process. And then going back and digging in deeply over the course of you know, this three or four month period that they're involved at an intense level uh, to understand the ins and outs of each of those uh, phases. And so what happens is the, um, the 
we'll say the, the developers in training are put into groups, groups of uh, four or five, depending on the amount of uh, applicants that they have. And those, those groups are given a development project to do. So they're given a site and then they are to develop a program, analyze the site, uh, work with an architect, uh, work with a financial person to come up with a pro forma and a design for a specific site within the city of Detroit. And I've also assisted on that end as one of the um, reviewers of the end process or, or sorry, the end product of this effort, which takes about two and a half, three months. We had the kickoff uh, about a month ago, month and a half ago, uh, and we're having sort of the uh, preliminary presentation uh, actually in about two weeks uh, of, of their findings where we'll give them feedback and then they'll go back and do, and do further development on the pro forma and the design of their uh, their projects. And this is just uh, to zoom in a, a little bit more so you can see the different activities and the, the timelines on a, a typical development. And in the beginning, it looks pretty daunting for some of the, um, the applicants, but after you, you go through this process of doing your own mock project, it starts to make a little bit more sense and for the uninitiated, uh, it, it begins to get them comfortable with the process, which is really what we want to do. And so this is a list of the things that we talk about and, and sort of the key elements that we want these new developers to understand and to be able to uh, come to grips with and talk about within the uh, context of creating a new project. Uh, really the early, the stages of development and pre-development. Uh, and then the, the important things are at, at really at the bottom and actually the last three, you know, what are the expected costs and then where can things go wrong? Cause that's really what you wanna know uh, if you're a developer. You, we we wanna make sure that they know what they're getting into from a financial standpoint and where things typically go wrong in the process. Because the more you can equip people up front with this information, the better off they'll be. And then we provide them with sort of anecdotes, examples and case studies uh, to, uh, to use. And that's, that's really, that's, that in, in a nutshell is, is the process that's used for the, the capital impact program as, as far as minority developers are concerned. What I typically like to bring to the table is sort of the next phase is, okay, th that's the nuts and bolts, but how, in, in order for us to fo really foster more minority developers, we need to get them working on projects that they can handle starting out. One of the biggest, uh, flaws that we see in the system is that a lot of these smaller developers take on more than they, they're really equipped to handle. And so one of the things that you know, I've been talking about quite a bit is really grasping what your role K 
can and should be from a community leadership perspective. Uh, and this is, this is just a quote that um, I, I use in the beginning because it, 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 it starts us thinking about equity. Um, there's a lot of things that have been done you know, through good in, intentions in, in architecture and urban development that, um, that haven't turned out so well. And so one of, one of my key things is understanding the, you know, this question, can design, and that's small d, meaning the process, uh, the process of development. And how can that be used to, to foster more equity within the development community? And so this process that I, I talked about in the uh, capital impact program is part of that. How can those things be used to, uh, to help heal the wounds that we, you find when you go into these, er, these uh, urban areas and you wanna solve inequity. And what I always try to say is that the way to do that is to understand what equity is. And quite often, you know, people think of equity as, as fairness. But I, I try to, to promote equity as value. And what I mean by that is as a minority developer coming up, you need to understand the assets that are already at your disposal. Quite often, minority developers look sort of beyond their communities at, at what they want to have, as opposed to looking at what they already have or uncovering things that, that are right there in front of them, which are really good places to start. And, and I, I just have a couple of projects that I'm going to show that illustrate those points. But those points can be sort of boiled down to sort of three main categories that deal with, you know, what we, we call creating places worth caring about. Uh, and that's the idea of transformation, reverence, and history. And I'm going to go through examples of each one of those. And, and you know, what I say down there at the bottom, I think is, is sort of the key thinking in this manner leads to empowerment. Empowerment leads to equity and diversity uh, in, within the development profession. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about that in, in relationship to those three areas, starting with transformation. And when we talk about transformation, we wanna talk about um, looking at assets that are right in front of us. And I'm gonna just look at two sort of examples. We're going to look at vacant, vacant buildings as the first example from the standpoint of being a developer. And I'm thinking of developer in general, whether you're a minority developer or not, but these projects are in Detroit, which is a, uh, a minority majority community. Uh, but it, it's the idea of sort of at the, at the ground level, sort of identifying projects within your community. This is a project uh, on the uh, far east side of Detroit in one moderately dense area and one far less dense area to the north that you can see. And this is a, a renovation project, which I think is a good way for um, smaller developers and minority developers to start off. Uh, the building is, is just to the right of center there it's a, it's a small three-story uh, 
former apartment building that the community development team uh, purchased and, and gutted and reconfigured uh, in, into eight uh, rental affordable apartment units. This is a this is an image of so the building uh, a little bit after it was it was uh, purchased uh, it, in the process of starting to to work on it. This was a, a few years ago. Uh, one of the things that you'll learn or, or minority developers learn and and developers in general is that some of these pro projects, especially in urban areas, tend to take a while to, to come together. But uh, just some images um, on the inside, you know, a lot of these buildings that are located in these er in these areas are overlooked by people who live there, but they have a lot of um, uh, quality features that could become assets uh, in their existing state. You have to be able to develop the the vision to see these things past, you know, what they look like when you get uh, when you get into the um, the development of the projects. Here we have a uh, an image of the the building uh, today as as it is um, and I'm going to see if I, I here's a, another bill another image this might be a, this is was a little bit fuzzy unfortunately uh, for some reason some of these slides are, are fuzzy but um, you can see here this is from uh, probably a month or so ago where we are new windows have been put in uh, there's um, the windows are about to go in on the basement level. And so this is a, an eight, uh, sorry, an eight unit building that uh, the development uh, uh, group for the area put together. And now we can start to see some of the, the finished interior images and, and just how you can begin to if, if you, you think about, you know, places and, and areas in that look like this originally, and through the process of development, we, we start to sort of change that feel and really uncover hidden gems. I think you, we start to see the, the importance of, of finding these things that sit, you know, vacant in a lot of uh, neighborhoods that minority developers work in. So that that's just that's one example. I'd like to show a, another example of uh, a project in Detroit uh, development initiative. This one uh, called the Canfield Loss is a redevelopment of an old abandoned Buick. Uh, Repair, repair and showroom from the 1920s. And again, what, what it takes, you know, a lot of these things sit vacant for many, many years. And 
this, uh, this idea of, of transformation is so important because you need to be able to look at something like this and train yourself to look at it so that eventually you can see it as something like this. This was a project that went from a vacant building to 36 uh, units in a renovated building with a new addition on the top of it uh, and, and becoming a, a catalyst within the city. Uh, actually the first for sale lofts within the, the city of Detroit. And, and really it, it's about developing that ability to, to understand what you have sitting right in front of you and what the prods or what the the uh, the vacant building in this case can become and in this case uh, coming early on uh, in the redevelopment process of detroit we found that this building spurred a lot of development within the, the midtown area but if you don't have the vision it, to to go with the, the the passion to develop then you'll typically miss out on a lot of these opportunities that are right in front of you. And again, I think the key is to understand that these aren't gigantic buildings that, that I'm talking about. You know, these are things that a, a small developer can take on, you know, a, a group of small developers can get together and get financing for, uh, and, and it there are things that, uh, you can do without necessarily breaking the breaking the bank and i think that's important especially from the standpoint of minority developers that don't typically have access to all the capital that other developers might uh, the the um the the second concept which i talked about which is reverence i'm going to use in relationship to vacated neighborhoods or neighborhoods where there's been a lot of disinvestment and uh, uh, a lot of teardowns and empty space. This is a grass. This is the Grashit Woods area, and this is an, an area where we, you know, we we worked with the community development organization to come up with a master plan to infill and reinforce an existing neighborhood. And I use the word reverence because sometimes you can look at, at older housing stock in an older, older neighborhood and you can see buildings that are falling apart and, and buildings that you don't think have a lot of value. But I think that's missing the point. And I think what, what we wanted to do in working with the, in the development team was to have us really take a look at this whole area and we go through and look strategically at what the character of the area was and how we can build on it as opposed to just discard it and create value in the neighborhood and value for smaller developers uh, by uncovering the opportunities. And so just as a orientation, the, the map here is the same uh, orientation as this aerial view. So you can see this Gratiot Avenue coming in on the diagonal on the upper part is the, the same avenue in this map. And all the things that you see in red are infill housing developments for the neighborhood. 
So you can see there's a lot of vacancy and there's like sort of the missing tooth uh, syndrome in, in the neighborhood. And so what we determined to do was to create affordable housing was to develop a series of um, principles by which we would analyze the existing housing stock and develop our own responses to that. And so we use as a guideline some um, standards from the Urban Land Institute and the Congress for the New Urbanism, two groups at the forefront of urban redevelopment. We looked at categorizing all the existing homes in the area and then doing our own prototypical sort of new units. So working with the developer to uh, begin to respect what's there and come up with contemporary versions of what exists in the area. And one of the things that we encourage minority uh, developers to do is to, when they create new product, is to create product that mixes in with any kind of market rate product that's in the area. And by market rate, we don't mean necessarily high end, we mean what exists that people are buying at this point. So when you're doing infill, try to make it um, consistent with what's happening in the area. And so you can start to see here, these were some of the houses under construction that are taking on the character of the area. So again, it's about uncovering assets that you may overlook and then using those, those assets as inspiration for what you wanna do as a developer or as a developer and the developer's architect to do things that are new construction, as you can see in this image, that blends in with the scale and the character of the existing area. And then we can start to see some of the, the, the here the new houses completed and, and how the details or uh, partially completed, the details and how they match up with some of the details of the existing. And then having people understand that what it really comes down to is this, what, what I have circled at the bottom of this article uh, is doing things for the people in your community. And that's part of the whole empowerment process. If you, if you start to grow yourself from within the, within the community, you can create a more stable base for yourself. And now the, the final uh, principle, history. In, in history, I'm gonna illustrate through um, vacated site. In this case, uh, a large site, the Michigan State Fairgrounds site on the edge of the city of Detroit. Uh, and we were part of the development team. In this case, this was a very large project and the, um, Minority developer was teamed up with a with a very one of the larger developers in the state, and that's another uh, way of making these things happen. We were hired as sort of the overall uh, organizers and visionaries for the landscape architects and the architects who were commissioned on the project, and sort of creating and and harnessing the team along with the developers also. 
Uh, and so we were, we were charged with synthesizing what the city wanted, what the large and small developer wanted, and what the architects and landscape architects were bringing to the table. And in this case, understanding what you have is, is this asset of the Michigan State Fair, which was a, an area really dedicated towards understanding, you know, traditionally the, the agricultural nature of the state of Michigan. But, and so respecting that history and some of the historic buildings on site became very important. Understanding the, the different elements and how the state fair was used historically over time and then abandoned um, over a decade ago, uh, maybe 15, 10, 15 years ago. I can't remember when it was last used, but there are still many historic elements on the site. And so understanding that you need to respect those elements and build off of them creates value for the project, creates value for the minority developer involved and creates the ability to uh, create a, a profitable project. And so in this case here, we started to um, identify those assets on, on this historic site and what the, their importance were to the design team. And one of the main one I'm gonna concentrate on was this former racetrack uh, that was uh, part of the development site. And in, in most cases, what would happen is people would just see that as a big flat open area and just totally disregard it. And what our development team wanted to do was take that, and this, is, this has to do with transforming assets, but take that and turn it into sort of a, a key uh, area that begins to organize a system of green and public space within the entire state fair development. One of the ways we wanted to look at this, this sort of big concrete uh, flat zone is looking at some examples. Again, this gets back to looking at examples worldwide, uh, looking at it as potentially just a big open space. This was a, an abandoned um, airport in Berlin, but looking at it uh, as a place where you just let people come in and do what they need to do, recreate, ride bikes, take over the space and find out how people really want to use it. And so we use it as an inspiration for, uh, you can see over here to the right, using this um, area as an organizing element for the rest of the development. And then eventually it became sort of this, this sort of free flowing park that, uh, and you can see the, the proposed housing developments uh, in the, the background of this image. And we also, I won't go in detail on, on all of these, but we also looked at other areas of the state fairground site and how they can be transformed Again, finding value in areas that when you look at them, this is sort of the same view here. When you look at it, you don't think much about it until you understand the, the value that it can have once it's redeveloped. Uh, and then the idea, this was that the old concert band shell on the site. 
And it was really, let's reuse and reinstate that and create it as a, a, a major public space. And so again, it's about um, taking, transforming, uh, revering, and um, looking at these public spaces in a different way. And so that's the, the idea of finding assets and using them to build up the, the power of minority developers uh, from a, a grassroots perspective. And that's kind of where, where I come from. And then finally, um, the, the main thing that has to happen is a lot of people talk about supporting uh, minority developers, but you have to be vocal about it if you're supportive. And that's what I try to do. And I try to do it by really, again, having them uncover the assets within their own communities. Thanks. And I know it went a little long because of our hiccup in, at the very beginning, but uh, I wanted to get as much of that in as, as possible. Dorian, thank you so much for that. Um, you know, I think there was, man, there was, there was a lot that you shared there that I thought was important. Um, you know, I, I thought there was, first of all, the examples are fantastic. And I'm trying to click buttons over here while, while managing all this stuff too. So my apologies as I'm, mm -hmm. as I'm trying to do uh, two things at once. Um, but I think one of the ideas of, you know, or the main idea of giving folks opportunity, you know, where they are. I think that's, you know, first and foremost. And a lot of times when we think about small developers, you know, a lot of us, especially who don't necessarily always deal in urban environments, we think of, you know, a small one or two story building. And some of the examples you gave us were, you know, so these are small developers who are taking on these big hundred thousand square foot former, you know, um, warehouses. And I think that's, you know, the size of the challenge first and foremost, I think is, is it would be difficult for, you know, um, the most experienced developers, but as we're trying to grow folks, you know, I think part of what you said that would think that's really important as well is that, you know, giving them that opportunity and then, you know, kind of introducing them to the rest of that kind of ecosystem that they need. They need good designers, they need finance, they need, you know, the rest of that support system that's not, you know, we have a tendency to think of, of developers, especially this audience who, you know, uh, is part of the three-day vendor. It's a lot of downtown practitioners. So we don't always think about, you know, that, that the rest of the stuff that a developer needs. We just see the developer who shows up for a public meeting. And I think, you know, the things you hit on here, I think were really important. Yeah, I think it's 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 about a mindset, and what I tried to sh to show was development at a variety of scales, starting with a small building, medium-sized building, neighborhood, and then a very large site. And and at each step, you go from the small building, which you can do alone as a developer, to the medium size, where you're going to need maybe a group of developers. And then as you go up in scale, you you have to create. A, a larger team or, or collaboration with right. more experienced people. But I think that's the way to grow. It, it, it's really a, a, an incremental growth process. And we had a question just pop up and it said, you know, what's a good example of being local and vocal uh, that you could share? Like if folks want to be vocal, you know, what is it that they can do to, you know, to help promote this? Well, I, I think one of the, the things is, um, and this may sound simple, but it's to create groups, even if even if it's you know even like the idea of this happy hour group. But it's 
to to sort of make, especially that you can do it now online, is to make connections and just start the process talking, even if if it starts on on um, uh, social media. I, I'm part of a, a a group on Facebook uh, called um, uh, the Incremental Development Group. You know, it's as part of the Congress for the New Urbanism, but yeah. it's it's really under it's really getting people to understand that there are more people out there like them that that share what they want to do and it's uh one of the important things that the incremental development group does is they share information i think as business people and especially developers you hoard that pro forma but i think what we try to do in the incremental development group is share that information because with the reach of social media you're working all over the country so you can afford to share your information because you're in you're in California and I'm in Michigan. Right. And, and rates are going to be different elsewhere. You're not directly competing. I think that's one exactly. of the things like at the local level, it gets a little harder to do because you're competing for projects where mm -hmm. at the national level, you can use things like social media. And there's a couple of different I know incremental development alliance has a uh, has a Facebook group and I came they just changed the name of it just a, a few weeks ago to like we build neighborhoods or something like that. We'll look that up. But uh, Dorian, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I'm sorry for all the technical errors. Yeah, no, that was, that was my fault. I tried to try to use. Uh, should have just started with the computer in the first place, but uh, that's it, it, all right. All worked out. I uh, yeah, and if uh, if anybody has any questions and you want to give them my contact information, feel free. Absolutely, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, somebody has already they they wrote a comment. It was one of the projects that you had mentioned. I'll go back through and watch the video and get you more detail, but. Uh, some of you, they're, they're working on a project in West Virginia and they want to get your opinion on it as well. So sure. get more detail. So yeah. Dorian, again, thank you guys. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, appreciate you taking the time, buddy. Yeah. No, thank you. Take care. All right, folks, we're going to, we're going to, uh, I'm logging off here. I'm sure Ben and Jeff are probably already on the, uh, uh, on the happy hour. Now I'm going to log off and see you guys there. So thanks everybody.